And as we have heard, the reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 2. And if you'd like to follow it in the church Bibles, which you can, you'll find in front of you, you'll find it on page 1183. 1183, and hopefully it'll also be on the screen. We're reading from verse 6 to verse 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as your Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off, when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the circumcision of your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's, uh, let's begin with a brief prayer. <clears throat> Father God, we come this morning to hear your words to us. Help us to hear and receive them and respond to them by living worthy lives, by being built up in our faith and by being overflowing in thankfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing our current sermon series, as we've heard already in uh, the book of Colossians, and looking at, or based around, the third part of our church vision on being built up as disciples, building up disciples. Now, we might think this is a church function, but in fact, uh, we are the church, so it's part of what we're committed to ourselves, committed to building ourselves up in Christ and building each other up as well as a community and doing that through the work and guidance and power of the Holy Spirit. We are doing this, that is, thinking about being built up through this study of uh, Paul's letter to Colossians. So let's have a little review of how far we've come so far. And it would be really useful, I think, if, if you've got your Bible uh, in front of you to, to keep it open, um, not least so that you can check up on what I'm saying, which would be perhaps a useful thing to do. Paul is writing to this church, this church at the town called Colossae, 
and he gives thanks for them, and he says he, he is praying for them because he is pleased by what he hears about them uh, through other people. They, uh, they are developing, they are growing, and he wants them to be people who live worthy lives, bearing fruit, growing and enduring, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. They are to be people who are living worthy lives, bearing fruit, growing and enduring. Why? Why? Because God has brought them, and by implication us, since this letter comes down to us through the generations and the years to, uh, to us today, God has brought them and us into the kingdom of his Son. We are now people of the kingdom of the Son of God. And to kind of establish that, Paul goes on to describe who this Son is. He says, this is verses, chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, that he, that is Jesus, is the creator of all things. He is eternal. He is supreme in every way, being the very fullness of the complete representation of God himself, because Jesus is God. And he goes on to say what this means to them, and by implication to us. He says that once you were alienated from God, we were God's enemies, but now we have been reconciled to him, and he will present them and us as holy in God's sight, if, if we continue in the faith question about continuing the faith has some significance to what follows. What is he saying? Well, one of the things he's saying is that following Jesus involves change. We ought to be able to look back at what we were, to look at how we are now as Christian people, and to look forward to what God is doing for us and making us and taking us to be, and we should be able to see some progress in our Christian lives. We should not be now what we once were. And Paul calls them and us to a state of maturity. What is maturity? Well, a dictionary definition says uh, maturity is the state of having reached a stage of full or advanced development. Having reached a stage of full or advanced development. Which gives pause for a quick question. How are we doing? How are we doing? How are we doing at maturity? How are we doing perhaps at holiness? How are we doing at having confidence before God? And I'm guessing that there'd be very few, if any of us, who would say, yeah, I've arrived, cracked it, sorted. None of us are fully mature yet. But are we making progress? Are we growing in our faith. And Paul then gives them a warning. He says to them, let no one, uh, let no one deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. Let no one deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. He's praying for this church. He's uh, saying how much they're growing, that they're living worthy lives, and yet he gives them this warning, let no one deceive you. You see, there were those at the Colossian church who said, hey guys, the gospel is great, we love it, but, but you need this as well. You need this extra bit. You need this action or this gift. You need a little something extra. 
They were the sort of gospel plus people. The gospel's great, but you need these extra bits. But there are also some people in and around Colossae who are saying, the gospel's great, we love it, but you know that bit? We don't need that anymore. We don't want that bit. We don't need this teaching, this discipline. These were the gospel minus people. They would take the gospel, but they'd say, we can leave some things out. And I think it's fair to say that there are those in the modern church. There's quite a lot of us here, perhaps even in this church, who would take some of those views, say, well, the gospel's great, but you need to have this as well, or you need to leave that bit out. And Paul says to them, beware, do not be deceived. How is Paul going to address this issue? Well, let me pause for a moment, because I want to make to you a very strong suggestion. Okay? Listen up. Here's my very strong suggestion. Come to church every week. Come to church every week to get the whole sermon series. All right? Um, Victoria said she couldn't find in the Bible where it says the gift of turning up. Can I suggest Hebrews 10.25? Do not forsake meeting together. All right? If you're one of those who's not here looking at me and smiling at me this morning, but you're listening on the website to the recording later, fine if you can't make it here, but listen to the recording every week. Because sometimes these sermons stand alone, and there's a sense in which they do, but they also build on each other. And when we get to the end of this one, I'm going to tell you that it builds on what comes next week. So come next week. They follow on, they complete, they fit together like jigsaw pieces. So, what does Paul say in the passage that we, read, we had read to us? Paul begins, verse 6, Therefore, nobody's leaping to their feet and saying, my Bible doesn't say therefore. Well, that's because you've got the NIV. And it says, so then... But it's much the same idea. So then, therefore, and there's that old little joke about whenever you're reading your Bible and you come across a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. <laughs> Why is it there? Because Paul is going to build on what he has said previously. And he starts, verse 6, by reiterating that these people that he is writing to are themselves Christians, as most of us probably are here this morning. And he says in verse 6, Therefore, since you receive Jesus as Lord... Let's just press the pause button there for a moment. Paul is writing to you and to me, as well as to the Colossians. And the question is, have we received Jesus as Lord? Is Jesus Lord of our lives? If not, this morning, then talk to somebody afterwards. Ask about receiving Jesus as Lord. I can look around this congregation, Victoria, um, you know, Roger, the, the Delaps, all 
you know, I could pick out hundreds of people here who would, there'd be somebody in your pew who would be happy to talk to you about who Jesus is as Lord. And if they don't want to talk to you about it, they'll point you to somebody who will. Talk to somebody about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ. But if yes, he says, since you have received Jesus as Lord, he says, continue to live your lives in him. Don't stop. Don't be deceived by something else. Don't be put off by sidetracks that come along that stop you saying, Jesus is my Lord. How do we do that? How do we continue to live our lives in him? Well, Paul uses a bit of a mixed metaphor. You'll come across a lot of metaphors in the Bible and and you'll very quickly discover that no single metaphor tells you the whole story. That's why there's lots of them. And Paul here uses two. He says, be rooted or being rooted Rooted like a, like a plant that, that, that the roots go down into the, the, the pot of compost or into the ground, whatever it is. That, what does that do? That keeps the plant strong, it holds it up, but it's also the source of its life. It's where it gets its strength and its sustenance. And he says, be rooted in who? In Christ Jesus. We should be rooted in him. He should be the source of our life, the source of our sustenance, the source of our energy. But not just be rooted, he says be built up. Be built up like a building, like a temple perhaps. On a firm foundation, everything we do should relate to him. Everything we do should be built on him. And how do we do that? We do that by being strengthened in the faith that we were taught, i.e. continue learning the faith that we have learned already, continue taking in the teaching, continue taking in what we're told, what we read for ourselves, what we discover for ourselves, so that we can be built up and we can be rooted and draw our strength from him. How, How do we know whether that's happening? Well, one of the things he says here is being rooted and built up and overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with thankfulness. One of the measures of how mature we are may be how much we overflow in thankfulness. This has been a bit of a challenge to me as I've been preparing this about how thankful I am in my life. And I was, I was reminded, some of you... Uh, sufficiently new to the church that you weren't here in 2015-2016. But we sang a song this morning, the very first song that we sang this morning was the song that's commonly called 10,000 Reasons, it's actually called Bless the Lord, O My Soul, I think, and it talks about, it has that line in it, 10,000 reasons for my heart to find, 10,000 reasons for blessing the Lord. And 2015, 2016, we had a bit of a challenge here in church. We thought, could we actually think of 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord? It took us about a year. But the answer is yes, we could. And they're all listed here. And you're welcome to come and have a look afterwards. 
Some of them are just, you know, ordinary, everyday things. But there they are. But are we people who today are overflowing with thankfulness? Thankfulness for forgiveness, for having a saviour, for God's grace, for his love poured out into our hearts, for Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, for the church, for those who teach us, for those who encourage us, for provision, for protection, for a new life. Paul has been saying, once we were dead, but now we've been made alive. Are we thankful people? And in verse 8, he then returns to this warning that he's made. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. This relates a little bit to what we said earlier about people who were proposing the gospel plus something or the gospel minus something. He says what they're proposing is a hollow, deceptive, human, falsely spiritual thing and it's not based on who Jesus is, on Christ. And he goes on to address some of these points in turn. Some of these false teachers were saying that God is a perfect spirit and therefore he has to be separated from his creation. Paul says, in him all things were created. He's not separate from his creation, he made it. Some of these false teachers were saying that God is perfect, and because he's perfect he cannot come into contact with the material world. And Paul says, in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He didn't only make the world, he came into it in our form and in our style and lived within the world that he had made. Some of the false teachers were saying God works through lesser powers like angels and other spirits. And Paul says, verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness, for he is the head over every power and authority. He doesn't just use these powers and authority, he is head over them. Lesser spirits and powers, if they existed at all, he created them, he is superior to them. And the important work of reconciliation he did himself, not through others. False teachers were saying that if you want to be a real Christian, you have to be circumcised. That's mostly a Jewish practice, though other religions also use it these days. Originally, circumcision was a sign of the covenant between God and his people. It was a sign that they were God's people, the Old Testament speaks of circumcision of the body, but it also speaks of circumcision of the heart. Sometimes we gloss over that and miss it. Jeremiah 4.4 4 and elsewhere, for example. Our hearts, the core of our being, have to be right before God. And Christ, Paul says, verse 11, Christ has made our hearts right with him. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off. The implication is like dirty clothes. It was put off by Christ. 
And so our baptism is the sign of what has happened to us. Buried with him, raised with him, we have a new life. We need circumcised hearts. Do we have them? And being raised to a new life is the key here. It's the key here. Elsewhere in the Bible it talks about being born again. Elsewhere it talks about being a new creation. Verses 13 to 15 he says, We were dead in sin, but God has made us alive in Christ. So what's happened? We've sung about this already today. I just love it when... I'm sitting in the congregation and I see the way a service has come together. Lots of different people contributing things and it all fits. It's almost as though somebody's in control, isn't it? Yeah. We've been made alive with Christ and our sins are forgiven. The charge against us has been cancelled. We're no longer under condemnation before God. We have a new life in him. How? Not by physical acts like circumcision, not by third parties like angels, not by some special knowledge that only certain people have, not by following human rules, as we will see next week, but by God nailing it to the cross, triumphing over them by the cross, paying the penalty for your sin and mine, forgiving us, bringing us into the kingdom of his Son. The cross is central. We have new life. We have been received by God because we have received Jesus as Lord. Do we rejoice in it? Are we overwhelmed with thankfulness? Are we building ourselves and each other up? Don't settle for any substitutes, he says. And we'll get more on that next week. So be here.